0: Wow, I'm uh, <laughs> I'm just excited to actually be making this video because this is something, and I, and I hope I'm not the only one who can like relate to this. This is something I've wanted to do for a couple months now, and I've talked about it a ton and have had just like taken no action towards it. And so right now, like at this moment, you're experiencing like me actually deciding to do something about something I was saying. And so welcome. Uh, you know if you're here, you're probably a friend of mine or a family member. Um, if for whatever reason you were on the internet and decided like I'm going to check this guy's video out and we don't know each other, welcome to you as well. I'm excited you're here. Uh, but kind of I guess a summary of what of what this video is and some of the other videos I'm hoping to put out is that I have been working on a, a project. I've been working on a doctoral project, like very recently, I've started, and every once in a while, I will come across an idea, or a phrase, or a quote, or uh, a discovery within my research, and and I think if this was general knowledge. Or if this was a conversation I was having with these different people I love, like someone, like someone specific might come to mind, or like an actual group of people might come to mind. We could have an amazing conversation on this. And like sometimes I'll just like message it to someone. So like my friend Ashley, who I'm gonna talk about later on in this video, she's awesome. Like she'll just let me message her an idea and we can like talk about it. But but like sometimes like it's like, man, I don't I don't know how to just like put it out to the masses. Like I don't know how to just to give it to this people group. So I had this idea of if I can make some videos that aren't, they're not my, they're not my entire project. Like it's not even like, it doesn't even have to be super well researched. It's just like, if I have an idea and something that I'm excited about, even if it's not super well thought out, thought, man, like what if I just released a video once a week on some of those things and put them out to my friends and family. And then like, we could have something to talk about. Like it it would be like, it would it would keep a conversation alive because really that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. So if you don't know, my doctoral project is on the relationship between cognitive science and neurodiversity and theology/ mysticism. So over the last few years, I I've, I've, I've kind of, you know, towards the end of my like master's degree, I gravitated towards just this love for kind of that new fringe cognitive science movement. Where you saw a lot of different people studying these, studying cognitive science or neuroscience, but they had it next to a different science or a, or or a different academic practice. And so, one that comes to mind for me is is there's a professor at Yale named L. A. Paul, who who specializes in what's called the transformative experience. Like she wrote a book called Transformative Experience. She teaches the classes on this. Um, and and in, in in many ways, her book and idea of transformative experience is what brought is what brought Brooke and I to where we're at right now. So kind of a life update for us is twenty twenty was a really complex year for us. Uh, similar to many of you, we experienced like we I mean like honestly we just experienced a lot of trauma this year, and a lot of stuff that had happened maybe like. Within our childhoods, or within just the last, within our adult life, like a lot of hardships we'd had, those pains and those wounds were just like brought to the front of of our lives because we were locked in a house for months. Um, And as we went through this really complex year and we saw some of our relationships break and and we saw some abuses taking place and honestly like experienced some abuse ourselves within some communities that we were a part of um we we really started to examine what was what was most important to us in life and and we felt a strong pull to move our family to Minnesota so if you've been following us on social media like you might have seen some vague like mention of that but like We decided to move to Minnesota, uh, you know, and there were a lot of pros and cons there between going and staying. Like staying, our son has spent his entire life where we were at. Going, our son's cousins are here. And so even if it's at social distance, like he still has some access to other children in the middle of just this weird time, this weird virtual world we're living in. Um, You know, we were down here and we, we saw some of the conversations and actions taking place in Minnesota around um around different justice movements, around conversations, around reforms, and we wanted to be we wanted to be a part of that conversation, like we wanted to be able to witness that conversation firsthand. So it'd be a positive, but then on the negative side of things, like we had some friends we loved and some conversations taking place in our previous location that we were excited about. But really what it came down to was kind of L.A. Paul, uh, one of her big arguments within transformative experiences, you have to decide, do I want to see who I'll become if I take this action? Like, do I want to see who I'll become if I jump into this transformative experience? And for us, it came down to that. We wanted to see who our family would become if we moved to Minneapolis. So we're here and, um, and and it is it is uncomfortable. It's new. Uh, we're we're looking for jobs, and we're we're trying to restart our lives in the middle of a global pandemic. And it is something else. But the thing that I want to talk about today, uh, as I kind of dive a little bit more into what's going on, in my doctoral project is. So my project has been around cognitive science, uh, neurodiversity, and theology slash mysticism. I kind of put those in the same category. There's some differences, but we won't. We won't get as, uh, we'll, we'll leave it a little bit more vague today. Um, and it, when you look at cognitive science and theology, one of the things I'm looking a lot at recently as I'm beginning this project is creation narratives. So if you're studying like the evolution of the human mind and how we process and how we develop our thoughts and our feelings and our behaviors, how psychometrics come to be, like uh, how do our different personalities form, like, you know, what, like, as I'm, I'm looking at these things, like I'm diving back into human history and I'm, I'm looking a lot, especially the last few weeks, at creation narratives and myths. And, and the thing that I'm finding is that many of these creation narratives like, are remarkably similar. And another thing I'm finding is that many of them were written in these liminal spaces. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is there's, there's a concept called liminality, uh, it's an anthropological concept of when, when someone from either like a tribe or a culture that that practices um, that practices transformation, or practices rites of passage, when you are going through this rite of passage, there is this space in that where you've left what you were, but you have not become what you will be yet you're in the middle of this rite of passage and that's what the liminal space is. So you've left what you were, so you might've been a child or a son or an apprentice or whatever whatever that thing was that you were. And eventually you're gonna be something greater than that. But in order to do that, you have to live in the space where you're neither. You're, you're almost less than both sides. And for Brooke and I, like, we're living in a liminal space. Like, we gave up friendships. We gave up influence in different communities. We gave up titles. Uh, we gave up careers to, to come up to Minnesota and to be in this space where, like, we're not what we're going to be yet. Like, we don't have a community up here yet. There's not people I'm just, you know, like, I don't really have any friends in this area. Uh, we're not, I'm not doing a ton of work. Like, most of my work is online and, And, and that's kind of, um, you know, what I do for, for a job is, is kind of flooded. Like there's not, there's not a lot of consulting going on online right now. So we're in this liminal space and and that's great because as I'm studying creation narratives, a lot of these creation narratives were written in those liminal spaces. And, And the reason for that was, is that people, these, these groups, these cultures, these tribes were trying to figure out who they were, who they would become by looking at who they had been. So they would be in this space where where they're trying to figure out who they will become in the future. What will our, what will our group's purpose? Because when a lot of these were written, there wasn't really individual thought as much as group thought. Like the individual was not as important as the society or the tribe or the family or the culture. That's where we found our identity was in the group. And so as a group, they're in this liminal space. And they they're trying to figure out who will we be, what will our contribution be to the world, and they're trying to figure that out by going back and asking the question, who were we, where did we come from, what is our origin? And so in in some of these divine, uh, in some of these in some of these creation myths, um, one of the more popular ones I, I I'll look at and kind of start with and and it lines up with like a lot of people's traditions within our society today would be uh the genesis myth so like the the judeo-christian myth of creation in genesis you see it's this it's this god and, and kind of at the beginning he's more of like a like a warrior god like he's um he's very tri like very tribalistic focused uh very like kind of archaic is how we're seeing as is how we're, we're seeing her and. And this God creates everything through speech. It talks things into existence, except humans. And that's what's, that's, what's interesting is, is, is this God, this God speaks. And when this God speaks, everything's created. But when they get to humans, when this God speaks, gets to humans, it creates humans out of elements and breath. And then it—it's it, real interesting because because it does make a speech about these humans, but it doesn't necessarily create uh, create these humans out of that speech. It says, "Let us make humankind in our image." And then it creates this this human out of out of out of the elements, so out of out of the dust, out of the dirt, and then it it breathes its breath into that human and that's gonna be something we're gonna see in all of these creation myths is 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 this divine origin and identity the identity of humans coming out of, of, of the gods coming out of, of something divine you see it in, in egyptian Memphite theology so so you have the god the god of craftsmen which is is, is ta has has a thought of what creation could be So this craftsman God, who's like more, more of like, a, works with metals and wood, and is just a real, like a a real crafty, a real crafty character in the story, uh, has a thought of this is what creation could be. This is what animals could be. This is what the land could be. This is what the elements could be. This is what the sun could be. Uh, and it speaks that thought into existence. And again, we see this divine origin of where we come from, uh, and the, you see, you'll see this like as you study like all these creation myths, like in the Enuma Elish, which is like Babylonian cre- creation myth, you're going to see it, and in the Samaritan creation myth, uh, the Barton Cylinder, you're going to see this, and even this is where it gets real fun, even with with more skeptical thinkers, and I have a, a bunch of friends, and you know, in in this in this camp in this world, just through. Kind of where I where I am and, and what I do, and, and within academia who who fall more in line with this skeptical view of, of of origin story, even there, they're going to say there's something different about the human. And so Richard Dawkins calls it the selfish gene, which is is one of my favorite concepts when we talk about creation, the selfish gene. And that talks about like there is an intrinsic need to survive. It, it, and the way that the way that gene that is described is very similar to how these ancient wisdom literatures describe the human's divine origin. And so I'm left I'm left as I'm as I'm um, as I'm, I'm researching these these creation myths, I'm seeing that that these creation myths speak to the 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 divine origin or, or identity sorry you're going to notice a little bit of a pause and a glitch there my my camera someone called me and it it cut out so that happens um but yeah as i'm i'm looking through these creation narratives i'm I'm noticing there's a there's something different about humans so there's uh this they point to our our ancient wisdom literature's point to more of a divine origin or identity and then also they point to humans having an ascendancy and an influence over creation so at some point there's always a, there's always a call to, to creation, um, to be a part of that, that creating process where humans are going to interact with and even change and finish creation. Especially if you see some of these more like, uh, some of these like South American kind of earth diver creation myths, uh, you see these points in stories where, um, where the humans, where the, where the humans Kind of, kind of come up out of it, and they see a process that's begun, and now it's it's sort of their charge to continue that process, or or you'll see specifically within, um, like you'll see you'll see stories where where the human is more of a concept that's going to like self fulfill itself. So it starts as it starts as the dust, and now it's gonna it's gonna kind of it's going to decide the path it's going to take, and through that path. That's who it's gonna become. So there's there's this ascendancy and influence over creation. Um, one of my favorite, you know, examples of someone of someone living out their idea of 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 origin stories and 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 how they live their life today. I, I'd say is is my friend Ashley that I referenced earlier. So so Ashley works within molecular biology. Um, I think last time we kind of talked about like theological or mysticism belief, there was a curiosity there uh, with with more of like a secular humanism bend. Um, and and Ashley, Ashley was a part of one of these conversations I had a while back. And and this conversation was, was kind of around these ideas, but it was more like the, the names of the theories of these. So like what category would each of these myths go into? And, and Ashley gravitated more to like creation out of chaos. And, and this speaks a lot to to, to to Ashley because her story, and, and I asked her like before I, before I shared any of this, um, she she has had a unique approach to some of her biggest accomplishments. So she's someone that has struggled with social anxiety. Um, and two of her biggest fears in her life have been a fear of being touched or, or grabbed or held onto and a fear of public speaking. And I just love this story so much. So Ashley in college with this fear of speech decided that she was going to join the debate team to try to overcome this fear of speech. So she was going to, she was going to make an effort to overcome this, this fear, Uh, kind of like an immersion therapy, I guess. Um, And by the end of it, she was so good at it that I believe, I believe she like held like president of, of the debate club. Like she got so good at debating and I'm going to be honest, like Ashley's one of my favorite people. She's one of the more interesting people that I know. And one of the reasons is, is because her ability to hold these really unique conversations, and I've seen her I've seen her around people that have very different views from her and her approach those views with such grace and humility and understanding. And I think I think that 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 desire to learn to be comfortable within speaking, within speech. Um, has has done well for Ashley, and especially like I see the tie in there with creation from chaos. The second example I would I would give for that would be um, would be my friend Ashley has. Uh, she again I'd mentioned earlier she was afraid she was afraid of touch she was afraid to be grabbed onto so she decided to sign up for Brazilian jiu jitsu and if you know anything about that it's a sport that involves a lot of being touched a lot of being grabbed a lot of being held down. And Ashley wanted to immerse herself in this practice, and and today Ashley is a very accomplished martial artist. Uh, has done, <laughs> has done what's called super fights, like within a cage. Uh, has done several competitions, holds holds medals, um, all because she immersed herself in this program, and so. After one of these conversations Ashley and I had had about about these kind of creation narratives, these origin stories, she sent me a a lengthy, like an essay she had written called Creation from Chaos. And I want to read the conclusion of that essay. She said, even if we, oh wait, nope, that's the wrong part. Ashley said, there is a profound poetry to be found amongst Amongst uh, amongst the turmoil in which we exist, as long as we recognize that chaos is not the end, it is the beginning. And Ashley's life has held to this conviction that she speaks about in this essay. Her life has held uh, has has really spoken to this this creation from chaos narrative. So as I, as I'm studying uh, creation narrative and, and studying alongside things such as like spiral dynamics, integral theory, like ways of seeing the process and evolution of the human mind, I'm left with two conclusions uh, and things that are gonna challenge me and that I would I would love to see my, my friends and family challenge with this as well is I'm, I'm gonna look for what my contribution will be to creation. I'm going to assume that I have a unique thought feelings and behaviors. Uh, I have a unique personality and identity. I have a unique cognitive capacity. And out of that unique identity, I'm going to look for how I'm going to contribute to the world. The second conclusion I'm left with from this interesting, just like piece of this research is that I will listen to others' ideas of creation knowing that they have something to teach me. It's easy, especially for those of us who have, may have like experienced some trauma within, within uh, communities where creation is held highly. And some of these myths are held highly. It's easy for us to approach it with with judgment and fear and refrain. And if that's where you're at, that's totally fine. And and you don't need to apologize for that. But if you're able to listen to those around you that that you might um, you might scoff at their views of creation we might we might learn something there because I, I truly believe that that diversity of belief and thought has something to teach me so those are my those are my conclusions for this week those are my challenges to myself if you want to take up those same challenges great if not I'm just so happy you watch this video uh if you have any questions you know how to contact me uh you can get me on instagram or if you have my number feel free to call me I'd love to discuss this more anyways you all have a great week and I will see you next week